us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you in gratitude for calling us to these days of prayer and of fellowship. Thank you for revealing yourself to us that we may know you, that we may love you, that we may serve you, that all this may lead to our greatest happiness in this life and in the life to come. We ask your blessing upon this time that we have together, upon this conference, that you may open our ears and our hearts to receive only that which you would have us to know, and to internalize, and to live. We ask this in the most powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Just off the top of your heads, you probably know the fourth verse of uh, Adoro Te Devote, right? Plagas sicut Thomas non intueor. Deum tamen meum te confiteor, fac me tibi semper magis credere, in te spem habere te diligere. Might be my favorite verse of that whole um, beautiful hymn to the Blessed Sacrament of St. Thomas Aquinas. And it goes in a rough translation, Your wounds, like Thomas, I do not perceive. Nevertheless, my God, I confess you to be. Make me in you evermore to believe, in you to have my hope, and you to love. One thing that has always struck me is that the word for love used there is diligere. Diligence and love are linguistically tied. That just blew my mind when I first heard it because I am one of the least diligent people you will ever meet. I hate the little tasks that love demands. The, the, the little things that go beyond the uh, spectacular romantic show of, oh, look at the great thing I did for you. And then your beloved just says, yes, but really I would just love it if you took out the trash. <laughs> and so it is with our parents, maybe. I would say, oh, mom, I love you so much. And I can say all the most beautiful things in the world. And she would say, yes, but could you please pick up your laundry? And I would say, maybe I can't go that far, <laughs> right? I can, I can go far enough to do the stuff. That, I can love you on my terms, but not on yours. And we can be that way with God. We can be that way with our brothers. We can be that way with the whole formation process. We could say, I will do it on my terms, in a spectacular way that reflects on how impressive I am. But the diligent little things that love demands, I don't know about those. I think I shared with you a couple of years ago, um, those little memo sheets. Let's say this person called it this time. This is what it's about. Those are the bane of my existence. Those are the cross on which I'm crucified. I'm just really bad at calling people back in a timely manner or doing... Uh, the, the email correspondence, or like, I'll let text sit. But I realize those little things are ways of saying to God, I love you. 
and to other people, I love you. Love is made up of diligent little acts. It is a diligent concern and a working toward the good of the other. Right, That famous definition of love as, uh, as willing the good of the other. I, I think it, just willing it, sometimes it can convince us that we're more loving than we are. Because when we say, like, do you will the good of, ev- of everyone? Yes, absolutely I will it. Will you do something to make it happen? I don't know. Maybe. If I feel like it. Instead of actually willing it and having this diligent concern of living it out in all of the little things. And so if we were made to know, love, and serve God in this life and be happy with him in the next, this focus on love needs to go beyond words, beyond spectacular, impressive, romantic gestures, and into the nitty-gritty of our daily existence. But we might ask, okay, so whom should I love and how should I love them? And we go no further than the words of our Lord Jesus, right? Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. We have one of the Pharisees ask Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So he spells it out for us, both whom we should love and how we should love them. First, we love God. And it's beautiful, there's this tri Partite love of God that he shows with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And in that, it was a poetic way of saying everything that makes you who you are ought to be consumed with the love of God. And what I love about that word all is, is that it means everything, right? It doesn't mean just the good parts, just that whom you, who you wish you were. Those parts should love God. The rest of you, don't let God see it. It's all of you. And so we build upon that self-knowledge. And now we move into, because with self-knowledge came the beginning of self-acceptance, self-possession, self-gift. Love is ultimately that gift of self that we give. And it's a complete gift. It's not partial. Uh, St. Augustine reflects on this verse uh, like this says, you are commanded to love God with all thy heart, that your whole thoughts, with all thy soul, that your whole life, with all thy mind, that your whole understanding may be given to him from whom you have that which you give. Thus he has left no part of our life which may be justly be unfulfilled of him or give place to the desire after any other final good. But if aught else present present itself for the soul's love, it should be absorbed into that channel in which the whole current of love runs. For man is then the most perfect when his whole life tends toward the life unchangeable and clings to it with the whole purpose of his soul. And then a gloss on that same verse goes, 
with all thy heart, that is, understanding, with all thy soul, that is, thy will, with all thy mind, that is, your memory, you shall think, will, and remember nothing contrary to him. Right? All the capacities of our soul, our memory, our imagination, our intellect, our free will, everything is given to him. And what's beautiful is that in that gift of love to him, he ends up purifying all of that. We might have some memories that we have put in a box and said, I am never going there ever again because I turned from God in the most hideous way or I was hurt in the most traumatic way. And we might say, nope, that part of my memory is off limits, definitely for me because I can't handle it, but also to you because I, I don't want you to see me in that state. And God says, I, I saw you in that state. I, I was there with you. As you hurt, I hurt. I want to now let, let you be healed in that place of your memory. And so when we say all of our heart, mind, and soul, that essentially encapsulates our whole history, our entire past, but also our entire present and our entire future. You know, those hopes, fears, desires, worries, all of that which we might say kind of consuming me, but I'd rather not give it to God because he's busy enough with the whole universe and all that. So I'm just going to let it eat away at me instead of saying, you know what? Part of loving God is offering him that which I have to give. I would love to offer him the universe, but he already has that. What he doesn't have is my will freely given, my memories freely shared, every capacity of my heart, my soul, my mind given to him as an offering that's actually really pleasing to him, even though to us it seems just pitiful. So with all your heart, we can ask ourselves, how free is my heart to love God? What attachments do I have that prevent me from loving God wholeheartedly? Sometimes, oddly enough, we're attached to our own beliefs of our unworthiness. And that's the attachment. Sometimes our attachment is this fear that we have. That if we give ourselves to him, he's going to be just like other people we've trusted. He's going to let us down. So, I, I, I can't. I can't just go that little extra bit and actually give him my whole heart. i got to give him the pretty parts. And then the other 97.35%, that's me. <laughs> I keep that to myself. But with that come the wounds. Uh, sometimes you'll, I don't know, do any of you have nieces or nephews or, or any, I guess, younger members of your families, cousins, things like that? Sometimes when they're hurt, they will tell you about it, but then when you want to see it, they won't show it to you because it, it still hurts them a lot. So it's just kind of like, close in over their wound and you're like no, no no the only way that i can i can tend to this wound is, is if you show it to me and they're like no because uh, they're scared because that part still really hurts them and even though they know you and they love you and they trust you there's a part in us that immediately recoils and thinks no no no, no. even the person who's going to help me might hurt me in the process so i just can't show it to them my heart is not fully free to love the lord if i am still enclosed on my own wounds or if i pretend they're not there it's like uh any of you seen monty python it's 
for, for the Holy Grail. And there's the, the knight who has his right arm chopped off, his left arm chopped off, his right and left legs chopped off. He's there just a stump of a man, and he's still refusing to admit that he's wounded. Or refusing to admit the extent of the wounds, because he says what? Uh, Tis but a flesh wound. (laughs) And I think that spiritually that's us very often. God's like, listen, dude, you're missing like all of your limbs. I just want to help you. I'm literally a healer. And you're like, no, nope, I'm not actually hurt. They're hurt. They're hurt. They, they need you more. And he's like, I, I'm infinite. <laughs> like, I, you, me tending to you does not take away from me tending to all the rest of humanity all across history. But still, sometimes we, we refuse to admit that our hearts have been wounded because we're scared that that means we have to place the blame on someone. And we might say, my parents are great. Mm-mm, not their fault. Went to great school, had really good friends. Uh, nope, not wounded. No wounds here. Somewhere else, though, go looking for them. Other seminarians, lesser seminarians, they might be wounded. Instead of realizing just living in a broken world is going to be wounding. Jesus, he, he was vulnerable with us. You know, the roots of that word vulnerable, vulnus, what does that mean? Vulnus is wound. To be vulnerable means to be wounded or to have your wounds exposed. Ultimately, his glory shone through his wounds. Thomas, who saw those wounds, was able to confess him to be God. And so our heart is only free to love God to the extent to which we honestly examine. What am I attached to instead of you? And what are the wounds that I might be hiding from you? Because when we expose that to him, that's actually the way that we love him. Just like it warms a mother's heart when a child comes to her and and says, hey, this is where I need you. This is where I'm hurt. I, I just need you to hold me. So it warms the sacred heart when we come to him with our woundedness. Now, I mentioned attachments to things. And there, I think, more explanation is needed. To be attached to things to the exclusion of God or in the place of God, that's absolutely wrong. But it's also kind of natural for us. And so it needs supernatural grace for us to purify our attachments. Because it's not like holiness is that we don't care about anything at all other than God. Hygiene out the window, all right? Uh, Friends and family forgotten. Um, Self-care, blah. No. That, that's not holiness. That's actually self-abuse. No, what the kind of holy detachment or indifference that the saints spoke of means is that I am so attached to the Lord that every single other attachment only is, is able to make any sense when viewed through the love that I have for God. So I love my own body, my own health, my own hygiene out of love for God. I love... You can even have a healthy love of your reputation out of love for God. You can love other people out of love for God, but have that be the reference point for every other love. It's like what we just read St. Augustine saying. He said that if aught else present itself for the soul's love, it should be absorbed into that channel in which the whole current of love runs. So it's almost like tributaries going into a big river. 
That's what all of the other loves can be. They don't have to be banished or forgotten. They just need to find their place in that overarching love for God that we have. But what do you think of when you hear heart? To love something with all your heart, what does that evoke in you? Do you think of reason and intellect? What do you think of? Emotion, gross, the E-word. We're philosophers. We're supposed to hate that, right? (laughs) Jesus was a passionate man. And sometimes we have made too much a virtue of Stoicism in place of Catholicism. We can learn something from the Stoics, right? And especially in our day and age where a lot of decisions seem to be more emotion-driven. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Jesus had emotions. Jesus had passions. And so to love God with all your heart means that you strike that balance of not being fearful of your emotions, but also not being enslaved by them. Of realizing that they have a good and noble place in the life of every Christian man, but that place is not the driver's seat. It's the engine room, right? The emotions move you in a certain direction, but it is reason and will that choose what that direction will be and your reason and will won't take you very far without the emotions but they're they're not very good drivers right so all your heart then comes all your soul of course suke life is it completely devoted to god in such a way that it would be given up for him Right, A lot of the church fathers, that's exactly how they took that, that line there, that you're to love God with all your soul. These were men who, some of them gave their lives. Others lived in the same time that many people were giving their lives. And so they saw all your heart means all of, well, in that time they, they tied the heart a lot more to your thinking as well. So they would say with all your thoughts, but also with all your will, with all of your emotions as well. But then to love him with all your soul means to say, you know what? Who I am is entirely God's. My very life, I give for him. But it's interesting because sometimes we can romanticize the martyrs and assume that in their position, we would do the same. So I would say, oh, I would totally die for God. Absolutely, definitely going to do that. If, if ever they come knocking at my door, I'm going to die for him. And sometimes... I get this thought that that comes immediately upon those thoughts. And it says, okay, now would you be willing to live for him too? I'm like, well, that takes effort day in and day out. Like I would rather have one spectacular moment where I just say, I die for love of Christ. But that kind of virtue is built up through daily diligence, through the, the, the very mundane. Sometimes we think that we love God in the mystical, Right? That, that my love of God is perfected if in prayer I have these intense spiritual experiences. That's great. When God gives that, that is pure gift, usually meant just, just for you to be able to draw closer and deeper into his sacred heart. Often it's a preparation for some difficult things that may come, some trials that you may have to endure. But where you get to love him is a lot less in those moments 
and a lot more in the mundane, the day-to-day, the giving of your life, the pouring out of your soul for him. So, with all your soul, you can also lump in there all your personality, your weirdness, your quirks. I, I think sometimes we assume that to take on the identity of Christ in our baptism and then to be conformed to Christ the high priest in priesthood, it is to take on this external mold. But it's actually to become more uniquely yourself than you have ever been. Because if you are made in the image and likeness of Christ, who is infinite, so every single human being who has ever existed and will ever exist is a unique reflection of Christ. And we're never going to exhaust him. Like, oh, we've reached the limits of humans, so now we're going to have one that has to redouble on his imaging of Christ. No. And so if you are uniquely configured to Christ in a way no one ever has and no one ever will be, then you becoming the priest that he has called you to be, you're not taking on an external mold. In persona Christi means I'm going to be more Jacob than I've ever been in my life. I'm going to be more Rico than I've ever been in my life. That's a wonderful thing. Because sometimes we we look at how we're different and we think that somehow disqualifies us. Now, part of healthy self-knowledge that we spoke of before is that we realize I'm going to have blind spots and so I need to grow in certain areas. I might be more drawn to prayer, but I I really, I I just flee from any human interactions. And so I, I might need to sacrifice some prayer time sometimes to develop that skill. Or I might um, be really good when it comes to a group setting. I can speak to thousands and thousands, but in my one-on-one skills, I'm just kind of all over the place and I can't actively listen to a person, right? We, we have gifts and shortcomings as we spoke of, and we develop those parts where we're weakest and we help others with those parts where we're strongest. But that whole mix of who you are, that's the all your soul that God wants you to love him with. Your own unique weirdness, for some reason, God loves it. So give it to him. So your personality, is it known by you? Do you know the pluses and minuses? Is it embraced by you? Or do you reject it and live in this kind of steady self-loathing? And then is it given to him to be perfected? to be able to stretch you where you need to be stretched and help you grow, but then do, do so in a patient and loving way. Okay, finally, all your mind. Do you love God with your mind? How do you love something with your mind, right? We often think of love as just a heart thing, just an emotion. But obviously you all know it's willing and working toward the good of another, But I think especially during these years of seminary, you get to love God with your mind in a a most beautiful way. Because diligent study is an act of loving God. It's not something that I do that distracts me from when I really love God in my prayer. Or when I really love God and when I serve the poor or something like that. Sometimes we can assume that if I'm studying something that is not directly God, I'm somehow distracted from the most perfect thoughts of him and uh, heavenly glory. But really, any study that you're doing to develop your mind, 
is ultimately an act of adoration to God who gave you that mind. And especially when this is study that the church is asking you to do. Another way to love God with your mind is to come back to him in moments of distraction. So often in prayer, we think that we are just really bad at it because we keep getting distracted. But an old spiritual director of mine had the consoling thought. He said, if a hundred times in one session of prayer, your mind wanders and you have to gently lead it back to God, because your mind's kind of like a toddler, right? The moment that you like roughly try to bring it back, it'll start shouting and screaming and there, you're like, you're done. But if you kind of gently keep guiding it back out of the church pew, like it keeps on leaving the church pew, you keep guiding it back, it keeps leaving, you keep guiding it back. If a hundred times you have to guide it back to Jesus, that's a hundred times that you've said, Jesus, I love you more than this. And that's good prayer, right? Yeah, maybe you didn't have the greatest insights and you didn't levitate or anything like that, but you were able to say to God, I love you more than this other thought. But there might be times that after the 30th time of bringing your mind back from this distraction, you realize, oh, you're the one leading me there. Okay, maybe I do need to talk to you about my family right now. Because, yeah, this is going on. Oh, okay. We can learn from the distractions too, but it's offering our mind to God as it is, not as we wish that it were. Offering our attention to God as it is, not as, if, as we wish it were. Then finally, we love God with all our mind by seeking to furnish our imagination with good images. Because, I mean, we're children of the 20th and 21st centuries. We have plenty of bad images up there. And, of course, the evil one will try to, um, try to exploit that as much as possible. Bring us back to this memory or that one. And especially if it's pornography that we've had as a part of our... Um, story in the past or our struggle in the present, how beautiful to use that very, those very same eyes and that very same faculty of sight to gaze upon our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Maybe to say for every hour of pornography that I've watched in my life, I want to give 10 hours <laughs> to gazing upon my Lord. But also beauty, right? Because the, the lust is a perversion of love. And so... Um, what we are seeking in lustful looking upon something is a distortion of our heart's longing for beauty. And so if you ever have the chance to go to uh, a museum, to look at some fine art, to uh, go to a symphony and listen to some beautiful music, to be able to uh, go on a hike, right, and look at some beautiful creation that restores you and that is you loving God with your mind because you're furnishing your mind with images of his glorious creation. Uh, rightly loved, not wrongfully exploited. Now we move on. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, it all depends on love. And as I said, you cannot love what you do not know, which is why this morning was the foundation for all of it. The more we love God, the more we, can, the more we know God, the better we can love him. The more we love him, the more we want to know him. And so it is, though, with all three levels of relationship. 
if I don't care about you, I'm not going to want to learn anything about you. But I'm not going to care about you until I learn some very basic things about you. But it's the same about myself. If I've struggled with um, kind of this sense of disappointment with myself, it might be that I have a distorted knowledge of myself that hasn't come to the point of being able to love myself. But once I start to love myself, then I can look at my own actions with a lot less judgment, right? And my examination of conscience doesn't have to be a torture chamber every night, but instead it can be even, even the worst sins. Maybe I've fallen into something that I swore off so many years ago, and now I'm falling into it every single week. And in my examination of conscience, instead of putting on those uh, boxing gloves and just going to town on myself, I can say, that's interesting. No judgment, just, Lord, what's leading me to this? And instead of wasting so much time on saying, I'm the worst, I'm absolutely so terrible, I can grow in self-knowledge because I've inserted a little bit of self-love. And the way that I will direct souls someday, I need to be able to base that on how I've been able to direct my own soul. Right? Because I might say, I'm going to be such a compassionate priest, and I'm going to be a confessor that really, that really just journeys with people. And when they're in the midst of their suffering, I'm going to walk with them through it, and I'm going to challenge them. I'm going to call them to great virtue, but I'm going to be so patient with them along the way. I just want to shake you and say, okay, be that to yourself, you dummy. I mean, beloved dummy of God, but still, you <laughs> dummy. So just as self-knowledge makes real knowledge of the other through mutual... Oh. Okay, so just as self-knowledge makes real knowledge of the other through mutual self or free self-revelation possible, so love of self gives the measure for love of others. All right, what do I mean there in my poorly written note? Uh, love and knowledge have um, this interdependent relationship. The more I can know, the more I can love. But also knowledge of self and knowledge of others feeds into each other, right? Once I know myself, I can have that firm base from which I can get to know another but my relationship with that other will lead to greater self-knowledge because they're going to see things that I can't. Sometimes it will point out flaws that I didn't know I had. I'm going to hate them for it, but really I'm going to love them for it. Other times they might point out to me gifts that I have that I've never wanted to acknowledge. Well, so it is with love, right? Just as others help you to know yourself, so in loving others, you are loving yourself because we've been built to do that. And it brings us a great joy to be able to love another and serve another, but we'll get to that tomorrow. So first, loving yourself. First, it's what I said earlier, patience. Right? You, you have to sometimes look at your own soul, your own self, like the child that you are in the eyes of God, right? In the world, it's like, all right, y'all are 18. You got you to gotta be men, right? God doesn't ordain boys. He ordains men. But even as we call you to that, spiritually speaking, you need to be able to remember, I'm his little guy, right? I'm, I'm still, just like my mind is a wandering toddler in an echoing church, so in my development, some parts of me 
may not even have gotten to toddlerhood yet. (laughs) And I need to be patient. Just the same way that a child does not react very well to the harshest of punishments and these incredible demands and never any positive reinforcement, well, your soul's kind of like that as well. So be just a little bit patient with yourself, all right? Self-care. I know that we assume that that's something that uh, is a totally secular idea, that um, the saints never did any self-care. They fasted and they had all-night vigils, and I am a saint. Well, they also lived in a healthier society in many ways. Um, And so we interpret as selfish that which is actually caring for one of God's sons well. Right? If you doing this to someone else would be abuse, then don't do it to yourself. Don't starve yourself. Don't keep yourself from getting adequate rest. Don't keep yourself from getting uh, good exercise, from eating right. right. Those basics of nutrition, exercise, sleep, those are ways of loving God because you're loving the son that he loves so much. But that needs to be balanced with challenging yourself to grow. Right? So you love yourself both by tending to your needs and caring for this creature that God's given you, you, but also saying, you know what? You have more potential than you've been living up to. So we're tending to our needs, but we're stretching ourselves to grow. We're looking at all of our blind spots and saying, okay, I need to be better here and there. I need to utilize whatever resources are at hand. Counseling, spiritual direction, uh, formation. Sometimes getting an exercise or a nutrition coach. Sometimes even realizing my sleep patterns are all out of whack. I might need some help. I know that's not your problem, Robert. <laughs> you, you are our guru for the group for, for healthy sleep patterns. And then finally, compassion and forgiveness. Um, it's going to be very difficult to be genuinely merciful to other people if you haven't been merciful to yourself. That's where that parable... Uh, the Lord had of the the man who was forgiven much and then forgave and did not forgive little. You know, that guy who owed so much he should have been put into slavery with all of his wife and children and all of their belongings taken from them. But the king said, you know what? No, you're you're fine. We've forgiven, we've forgiven your debt. And another guy asked, owes him maybe like one paycheck's worth. And he's there strangling him, saying, give me what you owe. I think part of it is that he didn't trust in the mercy that the king actually gave him. I'm sure he was probably thinking tomorrow the king will change his mind. And he's going to be coming for all that I have and then interest. And so I, I need to work out, work off my debt, even though he said that I'm forgiven. Sometimes that's the way that we are with ourselves. Even though we heard the words, I absolve you from your sins. And we say, yeah, but maybe I didn't confess it perfectly oh maybe no it it can't be that easy nope i can't be forgiven i'm just gonna go over here and strangle myself for a little bit and say pay back what you owe but we need to have that kind of a forgiveness for ourselves and not kind of um lord over ourselves our troubled past if we expect to be that way to other people um because we hold ourselves hostage to our past or to our present struggles way too much. And it saps our energy from being able to be merciful to others. Which, speaking of, love others. First, your family. 
That's going to be different for each guy. And even within the same family, you might have the best, most idyllic relationship with your mom, but not your dad, or vice versa. Or it might have been great, but then something happened, and now it's been really, really rough. Might be one sibling that you have just a picture-perfect relationship with, the other one, you're not on speaking terms. I, I don't know. For each guy, it's going to be different. But that family that the Lord gave you was the first arena in which you learned to love. For some, it came easy. For others, very with great difficulty. But that's where the Lord wants to teach you to love those that you have not chosen. Because that's going to be your parish someday. And I think this retreat would be a good time to reflect on how have I loved my family? How do I love my family? How will I love my family? And it's going to look different for different guys. Loving from a distance is still loving. And sometimes those boundaries have to be created because it will be impossible to love one another from up close. Because maybe there's just been too much that has happened in that relationship for there to be reconciliation right now. But forgiveness, that's a matter of the heart. That's always possible. From a distance and in kind of silence, you can still love. And you can pray for. You can make sacrifices for. And so that first level would be, how do I love my family? Next would be your friends. Can I say that I truly, that I, that I have real mature love in my friendships? Obviously, it's going to be two different, uh, to, to different degrees with different people. That's fine. But is the basis there, this, this real willing and working toward the good of this other person? And that might help you clarify, too, who are my truest and closest friends and which relationships might I be clinging to but those were actually part of a previous portion of my life. Here's the tough one. Your formators, your bishop, and your pope. <laughs> right? Vocations office, too. <laughs> that one can be tough. Especially because we might still be carrying wounds from the family. Dad might have been really rough on us, or mom. And we project that onto any authority figure. And we assume the best. We give no benefit of the doubt. If they don't have the time of day for us one time, instead of thinking, oh man, they might be going through a lot right now. You know what? I'm going to try to be understanding. We say, like, they don't even care. They hate formation. They hate me. They probably don't believe Jesus is God. (laughs) But it's a good prayer to ask the Lord to give you a genuine and purified love for those in authority over you. To really love. Um, this is not just like mushy affection, but like to, to, to genuinely care and grow in respect for formators, vocations office, your bishop, because you might not see eye to eye with him. You might love Archbishop right now, and then the next guy you're going to be at, at odds with all the time. Well, what do you do with that? You bring it to prayer every day and you say, I want to love this person. I choose to love this person. So I'm going to pray that you fill my heart with love for this person. That my, it becomes second nature for me to try to see things in the best possible way. That, that doesn't mean stick my head in the sand. That doesn't mean never um, have an opposing opinion. But it means that in the midst of all that, I never drink the poison of hatred. 
and the same for the Pope. Might be that uh, you were super excited when Pope Benedict was Pope and then Pope Francis, you were like, oh man, I just don't like his style. Or it might be vice versa, that you were finally, the church has this great Pope. And then the next one, you're going to say, eh, it's not Francis. <laughs> um, ask the Lord to give you a genuine love for all of those figures. And finally, your brothers and your bride. Um, I loved that homily that, uh, well, that's why I chose it, because it's a great homily that, that I read from Cardinal O'Connor about this bride that you will, um, that you will take for your own and that you will lay down your life for. But sometimes we think of the church in these romantic ways, and then we look at our brothers and we're like, ugh, these guys are the worst. I can't wait to leave the seminary and enter the real world. <laughs> or, oh, I can't have a good relationship with these guys because they're not as mature with me in this way or in that way, so I need to only have friendships with people outside the seminary. Instead of realizing, these are the brothers God's given you. It might take you a little bit more effort, because for some reason there's this weird cynicism this dome of cynicism that, depend, that descends upon seminaries where guys sometimes convince themselves, oh, I can't talk about, like, church things or except church politics. I can't talk about, like, my deep love for the Blessed Mother because I don't want to be the pious guy. I can't talk about my um, experiences in prayer because, you know, that, that's for me and my spiritual director only. It's to, to be able to have a depth of friendship with our brothers to where we can go the whole spectrum we can talk about just football and just like that we can go into how our prayer life's going and just like that we can go to uh some of the struggles that we've been having uh with our family or some of the wounds we still carry obviously you want to have some spiritual modesty right you don't want to just Every person just like, hey, let me tell you about my deep experience in prayer. Or like, hey, want to hear about my father wounds? <laughs> like, you, you let the friendship develop. But a, a good question to ask is, do I have brothers that I can span that whole range of conversation with? You won't have many that you can go to all of that with. But to start developing that kind of a bond, because then, as you love your bride someday, you're going to need your brothers to support you in that. Because the days of the Lone Ranger priest, like, that, that's a myth that we've all created in our minds. Like, even the guys that we read about that were these supposed Lone Rangers, they had deep connections with their brothers. Sometimes they were writing every single day. St. John Vianney, he spent most of his priest, priesthood uh, communicating with various priests very frequently through letters and begging the bishop to send him somewhere to, someone to be with him. And so am I developing those relationships with my brothers now and am I, am I realizing that I love the church by loving them? The church is not some entity outside of the seminary. It's my brothers in the seminary as well. And so how do we love them? Brothers, bride, formator, bishop, pope, friends, family, everyone. Well, the same way we loved ourselves and we loved God. Diligently in little things with kindness, patience, and forgiveness. So I'd invite you tonight at Mass, or today in the afternoon, or tonight afterwards, when we have our prayer with the Blessed Sacrament, 
let go of resentments. Think through all of those levels of my love of God, my love of others, and my love of myself. And where have you been clinging to some resentment? To the formator, bishop, pope, family member, friend, self, brother, parishioner. And allow yourself to let go of them. And to say, you know what? This part of my heart is no, it's not free to love God right now because I'm clinging to this resentment. So we let that go. And we can finish by repeating after me just the traditional act of love. It used to be a beautiful devotion to wake up each morning and pray an act of faith, an act of hope, and an act of love. Well, we'll do one part of that. So you can repeat after me. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love you above all things. I love you above all things. With my whole heart and soul. With my whole heart and soul. Because you are all good. Because you are all good. And worthy of all my love. And worthy of all my love. I love my neighbor as myself. I love my neighbor as myself. For the love of you. For the love of you. I forgive all who have injured me. And I ask pardon of all whom I have injured. And I ask pardon for all whom I have injured. Amen.